Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cover to Cover Presents Live with Matt and Derek. My name is Derek. And I am Matt. Good morning to you, Derek. Good morning, Matt. How's it going, buddy? It's going. It's been a, it's been an adventurous couple of days. I'm uh, feeling optimistic. About what? Yeah. Feeling optimistic. I'm just... Uh, no, I need, you, I need you to give me something to feel optimistic about right now. <laughs> I feel like it, if you heed the advice to not consume Clorox or Lysol-based products, mm-hmm. then you're in reasonably good shape. You should be feeling optimistic because you haven't made that conscious decision to ingest stuff, that like is disinfectants that- into your system. All right, so that's that's weird. Uh, that's a weird way to feel optimistic. That's That's like... Hey, man, what are you feeling good about this week? Well, I'm feeling good about the fact that I'm not currently being tortured, slowly having my fingernails removed one by one and my eyelids. And like, what are you talking about? That sounds awful. Why would people inject themselves with Lysol or 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 Clorox bleach, Matt? Why would that possibly happen? What are you, it's a it's a roundabout way of saying to? you have more than half a brain. That you oh, have I see. Your sh- yeah, that you have your shit together. Apparently, it's been postulated that mm. mm-hmm, that taking disinfectants and ingesting them in liquid form, or yeah, or any way, or any way liquids can be dispensed, can magically wipe away a virus that you may have been exposed to, like <gasps> COVID nineteen. Well, surely nobody would insinuate that you can cure a virus by injecting or imbibing a dangerous hazardous chemical i mean what kind of a mad person would do this like 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 was it just some like crazy nut job at a bowling alley and then it got picked up by a news outlet or 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 was it like uh some sort of like 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 rogue like like world health organization uh official who like snapped under the pressure of protecting us from covid-19 and decided that the human race should all be obliterated and they should all just drink bleach who who would who would say something so stupid 45 but <laughs> oh it was the president it was our stupid fucking dumb president who said this it was our absolutely unqualified, dangerous, just, I'm angry, <laughs> can't come up with words to describe our shitty president president. <laughs> Folks, this is Cover to Cover Presents Live with Matt and Derek, a show all about live music and not politics. Um, but that is but that is the climate that we are in right now. So <laughs> we, uh, just to remind you folks, we are stuck at home. There is a virus, and Matt and I are uh, conversationally going down rabbit holes uh, about the history of live music, live albums, live festivals, and recording in general, it seems like. Um, but yeah. but we really just want to kind of help you uh, experience live music from your home, because right now, none of us can leave. We are all inside, hopefully, <laughs> unless... You know, unless you you support the current president, in which case, go drink a bunch of bleach. Um, but we're all inside, not drinking bleach, and we're all listening to a lot of a lot of albums and watching a lot of documentaries and movies and shows. Um, <clears throat> and I figured while we were doing that, uh, we should all 
focus a little bit more on things with a live energy um, that you can't get anymore. And that's kind of what we've been trying to do. Do you agree? I I agree. And I've, if I remember correctly, in this episode, we're going to be talking about live albums beginning well, yeah. in the 70s. I, I feel like we've... So let's just quickly... This is going to be... So this is a four-part miniseries um, about live music. So we are starting... We started at the beginning of recording. And that led us to the, uh, you know, radio and television and entertainment through those mediums. And that led us to... Um, the uh you know bringing bands and live music into the home which then you know opened up uh you know piqued people's interest in the trends of live music and rock music especially uh into the 60s and 70s as festivals became uh more and more frequent uh and this kind of led to a movement that really exploded in the late 60s where just like in if if there were half a dozen rock and roll festivals in 1965 there were what a few dozen hundred easily <laughs> by, by 1970 like in a 5 year time span it just like exploded and there was like you know <laughs> like a like a live renaissance almost yeah, it didn't just happen in major cities. It happened in your, you know, more smaller rural towns. Everybody state fairs, and state fairs, yeah, county fairs, um, any anywhere with a anywhere with a tent and funnel cake. There was probably a band, absolutely. And whether or not that band was local, mainstream, like you know, national, international, or you know, Billy Bob Buck from up the street with a guitar, like. <laughs> And there was more attention being paid to uh, developing more sophisticated PA systems mm-hmm. at this point in time. You had people that were, you know, running different kinds of events from an indoor perspective. Uh, you know, places like the Fillmore West, for example, or the Matrix in San Francisco, and those systems were brought more into sort of a, an arena or stadium like atmosphere you know derek i'm you know to stay in the 60s here for a second oh yeah i'm specifically thinking about the beatles's performance at shea stadium and while that was a monumental performance for the group from a sound recording perspective those pa systems were a nightmare oh yeah <laughs> it, it, I mean- you know they were a nightmare and things things improved by leaps and bounds they were dangerous first of all like you couldn't you couldn't be like there were so many rules you had to follow to be on stage that there were like security briefings you like as if as if you were about to like walk into a war zone like okay this is where landmines are this is what a bear trap looks like and if you go over there that fence is electrified but you want the enemies to it was literally that it was like okay don't step on that cord this is what a live wire looks like and if your microphone starts to shock you try to let go of it as soon as you can even though you won't be able to because all of your muscles are going to lock up and also you're going to die now isn't that a rigging endorsement of being close to a live concert experience (laughs) it got better though it got better granted i definitely played a few shows in the early 2000s that were not far off from that experience 
How many times have you played a, a show at a venue and like had had the microphone like shock your mouth? At least a half a dozen times. Yeah. You know, yeah. Especially either. like earlier in your career, maybe. Yeah. It probably doesn't yeah. happen to you a lot now. It doesn't happen to me a lot now. Um, well, you're using yeah, a lot of your own stuff now, right? I am. Right. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. part of it. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would say maybe like a, you know, a couple of farmer's markets here and there, or just, you know, a coffee shop that decided to like host something outside, for Absolutely. example, where yeah, it's, all bets are off. Yeah. It's way more common outdoors. And that's just because power is hard to come by. And, you know, so you need to rely on generators and, you know, obviously they don't have the right, uh, you know, dampening or, you know, whatever. I'm not an electrician or an engineer at all. I know how to, I know how to make guitars sound like music. Um, but I don't, I don't know what, what voltage is. I don't know anything about power, honestly. So like, don't, don't take, I'm I'm just saying words, but like there are, I've worked in situations as like a live sound person. I'm a sound guy. I'm not an engineer. Um, but I know how to mix bands and like, as I've worked in those, in those fields, like sometimes literally in a field, there's generators and they just output like enough power to either power a medical tent or power a music festival or power a restaurant for a week or, (laughs) and you know, like they just, they just put juice out and you, and you're running all of this shit and there's no telling like what's gonna shock you and what's not. Um, but speaking of shocking things, uh, were you shocked at all when, when you listened to your first live album at home? Like, did it, did it make you feel sort of weird at first to hear like, to like, to like close your eyes and be put in a situation where like you're home and yet you feel like you're surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people. Yes. And yes, I think my first live album that I ever owned was on a cassette tape. It was a, it was a batch of recordings that I believe had come out in the late eighties by ACDC. And, you know, without getting too deep into ACDC, there were, I believe, tens of thousands of people inside of this arena where the majority of this recording was captured. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it, it felt like I was, you know, at home with my closest friends at this point in, in time. And it just like allowed me to escape the confines of what was going on in my teenage brain. I felt. Right. It, it, I felt strangely safe listening to this crowd noise uh, along with hell's bells. You know what I mean? Right, of course. Um, I mean, I feel like my first, my first time listening to a live record, I was definitely like super young and it was probably a kid's album like Raffi or Barry Lewis Pulsar or someone like that. Uh huh. Um, but, but still like them singing their children's music, but like to a room full of kids like it's still like a like a stadium or like a like a gymnasium or something that's just full of children um singing along and like listening and like it's it's definitely like obviously I I don't listen to those albums as frequently or as much or at all <laughs> as an adult I don't remember the last time I listened to Raffi and I used to be in a kids band <laughs> like 
and I still don't think I listened to Raffi. Um, yeah. I was definitely like, oh yeah, I'm going to bump some 311 after this concert. Um, <laughs> or whatever I wanted to. I don't, uh, nothing against 311. They're fine. So <clears throat> yeah. yeah, they're a band. Um, 311, just, just a little tangent. 311 was, when I first heard them, I was like, wow reggae can be performed in this way that's interesting <laughs> and i like 311 it just it just caught me off guard it was a weird sort of genre blending that like i i i don't think a lot of people in my circles give them enough credit for like and i think it really helps like with bands like 311 where you have like distinctly different styles coming together like you have funk bass and you have like cool kind of like jazz and reggae guitar and you have um like hip-hop rock drums and like crazy vocals and loud like distorted guitars kind of blending with all of that and you have weird elements of metal and punk mixed with like latin and americana and hip-hop and and reggae and like all of and just spanning all these different genres it's crazy and it reminds me of just like really early uh like punk bands there's a similar sort of vibe and energy and sort of like live like just i don't know it's 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 anger but it's anger filtered through pleasure <laughs> and, from your own personal experience sorry go ahead yeah, go ahead. yeah. and 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 it yeah. really and it really reminds me of like like exposure to bands that <laughs> also sort of had that same sort of like charge to them, like, like every little piece fit together where you have like a crazy drummer and like a technically proficient bass player and like a wild card guitarist and just like a, in, in like a, like an eccentric front person or, um, you know, and, and it's, it's all like any, any of those things are sort of like volatile on their own. And then you put them together and everything kind of, is in check with itself. And it really reminds me of a lot of like punk music, but early punk music that a lot of people do consider punk. And a lot of people don't consider punk such as, I don't know the who let's talk about leads. Let's talk about leads. You want to talk about live albums live at Leeds is, uh, absolutely one of the best. First of all, I think that was the who's first live album. Valentine's Day 1970 Frost mm -hmm. keeping score. Um I did a I did a cover like a classic albums show, like a cover album show a few years ago and we did it was live at Leeds um and I did a few songs from it. Um and it was just like a rotating cast of people that would jump on and everyone did the whole album <clears throat> from start to finish and it was a really it was a really cool experience having listened to the record um and then watching people I knew <laughs> perform it like that was that was intense and 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 you could really see that that energy that i'm talking about that like kind of punk static raw like angry sexual charged like just that mm, what is that it's it's like it's 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 libido and it's mojo and it's ego and it's all clustered together and it's just filtered through a bunch of coffee <laughs> And it just makes your heart beat and it makes your feet move. And like, that's live music to me, is that. Like, you can go see a hundred bands play sad music and you can still feel that charge. 
It doesn't have to be happy music. It doesn't have to be punk. It doesn't have to be rock or rap. You can, you can feel that in opera. You can feel that at symphonies, that emotional tug. And Live at Leeds is definitely one of those records where like the harmonies are on point, the, the bass sounds awesome, the guitar is like punchy, um, the drums are in your face the whole time, and it's happening, it's really happening. You can tell it's happening on stage. It's not like, pre, like pre-recorded and it's not like studio overdubbed after the fact, and like those are real people reacting to a real band putting on a show. <laughs> That's that album to me. It's, it's... You said it, man. God I mean, damn it. Yeah. It's such a... I mean, Keith, the way Keith, they recorded Keith Moon's drums. God, the drums Holy on that record. Holy shit. They, like, I've heard, yeah. I've heard so many Who albums and the drums sound great, but that live record really captured his performance. Just... There's a tremendous amount of swing and just thunderous drumming you know that you get it's just it's a and it's a it, that album is in the pocket yeah. you know what i mean yeah. like it's yeah. not on time a lot and it still feels great <laughs> it's yeah. it never feels like they're they're making mistakes it just feels like they're a band playing together what is your if you had to pick one track off of live at leeds that captures just that frenetic energy what would it be for you substitute probably yeah um, the harmonies are on point. The guitar comes in with that. It's like big. The drums are crazy. Keith is just just fills a plenty, and and it's catchy. It's it's a it's a cohesive song, and then it transitions really really well into the rest of the record. I think that's a good a good place to just pick it up. Honestly, nice, nice. Yeah. What about you? I'd like I'd like to talk about oh on yeah, on leads leads. If you, oh, if, you, if you have a fave, throw it out. If you don't, it's chill. We can just talk. We can uh, move on. You want to move on? I think it's probably substitute. I have to agree with you. Substitute? It's, it's substitute. Um, that's, yeah. that's a gold standard for my ears. It's, yeah. it's just so, it's so well delivered. And like those harmonies when it comes in, just if they're, they're almost not it's like there's there's something about them where like they're not connected they sound like different voices they're not blended that's what i'm trying to say those harmonies are not blended like as correctly as i would like like as a perfectionist like i'm like oh no you're flat you're sharp but it feels real (laughs) and i don't i wouldn't change it i don't it's all about connectivity it's it it's those it's i'm listening to those voices singing together i'm not listening to a perfect blend of hormone they're not simon and garfunkel they're the who (laughs) right right (laughs) all right so what what did you want what did you want to talk about i wanted to talk uh i wanted to move into 1971 and talk about live at the fillmore east moving on up moving on up of course that is the almond brothers band all the brothers, Fillmore East. Uh, yeah, at Fillmore East. Fillmore East. At mm-hmm. Fillmore East is the full title of this record. Um, there's a lot of like, at Fillmore East, live at Budokan, live at these places. Like, and I feel like this record is when you when you say Fillmore East, it's this. It's this, right? <laughs> it's this. It's this. It's 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 a band that's at the peak of their powers. You have. Dwayne Allman, you have Barry Oakley, 
Dickie Betts, Greg Allman, uh, Jamo, as well as Butch Trucks. And this, I, I mean, this band just is, like I said, they're at the peak of their powers. They are just, uh, fuck, I don't know. Well, I mean, like, they, they sort of started this trend of making the Fillmore East a venue to record an album at. It's the most notable. It's It, it happens to be an, a live recording that found its way into the Library of Congress for what that's worth. It's, it's, the, it's, it's an amazing boogie blues ensemble that pays homage to a lot of the great blues artists. Yeah. Whether it's Elmore James, Willie Cobb, uh, Blind Willie McTell. I mean... So how when many, you listen to the radio these days, Statesboro Blues, you know, is always showcased as the live recording that you hear on Fillmore East. Right. It's 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 never it's never anything else. And, you know, until the Almond Brothers broke up in 2014, I would say probably one, two, three, four, five, at least six of these tracks on this four sided record mm-hmm. were the staple of their set list for decades and decades to come can we talk about statesboro blues real quick because that's uh that's blind willie mctell right that's right um i know that because taj mahal did a really good version of statesboro blues that i love um Uh absolutely one of my favorite uh songs that he has released uh i'm a big taj mahal fan um for those of you don't know taj mahal uh an amazing blues uh, singer songwriter performer uh, guitarist awesome uh, but also the keeper to the gates of heaven if you've ever seen the movie bill and ted's bogus journey uh, the guy who plays saint peter or just the gatekeeper who's like in heaven and he's like what is the meaning of life that's taj mahal it's taj mahal <laughs> yeah that's my boy <laughs> I love him. He's I have to so watch that. It's good. It's a good movie. Both Bill and Ted's are great. They're making a third one. It's out. It's coming out soon. Uh, right now, I think a couple of months from now, three months from now, it'll be out. Maybe. Do we? Do we think that's going to be out on Fandango now until theaters <laughs> reopen? I don't know, man. Yeah. I just, I just know that uh, they, they have made a Bill and Ted three. It is called Bill and Ted. Nice. Uh, face the music, and. Um, so Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Bill and Ted Face the Music. So I can't wait to see Bill and Ted Face the Music. Sweet. Uh, at some point. But uh, thank you for bringing up Statesboro Blues because it's a really good song. Yes, it is. Um, definitive definitive classic. So Fillmore East is really impressive because so many bands recorded there. And yet um, <laughs> they were only a venue for like three years. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. This they were was in a, New York. One of these, they were in New York, and they were also in California. Well, it was Fillmore West. Well, Fillmore yeah. West and Fillmore East, and that was the point. But Fillmore West is like, it's the Fillmore. It was, it was yeah. It was, a, it was a flash in a pan. Yeah. Um, Fillmore East lasted a couple of years. Um, it was owned by a prominent promoter named Bill Graham, and Bill Graham, you know, not only took care of bands that performed at his venues, but Bill Graham also paid close attention to sound and one of one of the key sound engineers that he had a collaboration with was a guy named Owlsley Stanley 
or known as the bear in some circles. And the bear was creating it, you know, in the mid sixties, very primitive, you know, versions of what would become PA systems and whatnot. And yeah. he was, he was supplying a lot of the sounds and just, you know, he was one of the key pioneers and a lot of people trusted bears instincts from a sound engineering point of view. And uh, people wanted to record in places like the Fillmore East. And like, I feel like at, at that point, um, there was like, I'd say like 69 to 70 ish. Uh, there was like a, it was the new old Fillmore, right? Is what it was right. referred to as. Um, and that was uh-huh. like when like the Stooges and like the dead would play there a bunch. Exactly. Um, yeah. God. I mean, the Fillmore has, you know, it has blossomed again uh, to the point where there are yes addis- additional Fillmore venues. There's one in Silver Spring, Maryland. There's one uh, in Philadelphia. Okay. These days. The Fillmore yeah. reopened April April 27th. Oh my god. What's 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 today's date? It's April 28th right 28. now. 28th. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh 1994 uh with the band The Smashing Pumpkins playing an unannounced surprise show and Primus playing the first official reopening the following night. Well, well. Um yeah. Since 2007, the Fillmore is leased and operated by Live Nation. So it's a Live Nation venue. And since then, yeah, they've opened one in Denver, Detroit, Philly, Miami, uh, D.C. Um, well, Silver Spring, but, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good for them. So the Fillmore... Uh, legendary venue but also sort of a flash on the pan which just goes to prove that you don't need to be here for a long time to be here for a good time um and that is the vibe that we like to keep here on cover to cover presents live with matt and Derek. a good time um speaking of good times matt what have you been doing to keep busy in the uh in the current pandemic uh, lockdown situation that has been fun and not work or stress related. Well, I can give you two things or, or, uh, or, or podcast related. Cause that's work. I, I yeah, it, it really is. I, I put together a whole, <laughs> I put together a home recording with my better half. And uh-huh. it was really, yeah, it was released um, on a seven inch, which is kind of nifty lath cut seven inch um, that's dope yeah acoustic guitar and a, a lemon shaker I is, is this your third special. vinyl pressing now second it second second no no you're right no third. It is, no it is third because yeah. i only have one of your vinyls you have two i know that yeah. and this is the I, third. yeah this is the third i yeah. did one this is another one that i did with a uh, least of all sound recordings in greenpoint which is a little subsidiary of brooklyn wow. and it's kind of just like a one-off hey live recording this was etched in amber for a period of time, and it's uh, it's kind of like an audio Polaroid. So I took something that's in my back catalog and recorded it, you know, home recording style. Just heck yeah, just just a little tape recorder and put it on a seven inch. Well, and that's dope. <clears throat> yeah. So I was I've been working on that, and I'm very very late to this soiree, but I've gotten into words with friends. Oh. Yeah, isn't that cute? That is cute. We, um, my wife and I played that. Uh, we played two games. I beat her both times, and I got so fed up with the ads that I didn't pay for it and deleted oh, it. They're so, they're so annoying. And I was like, hey, "This is a, uh, this is fine. Let's buy Scrabble, and just play Scrabble." 
let's just sit down. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on Amazon. I'm gonna order a Scrabble board game. I'm gonna get it in three months. <laughs> We're gonna sit down. We're gonna play it. <laughs> it's gonna be great. You can, if you can get mad and throw the tiles, that's half the fun. You don't have to break your phone. You can just throw a bunch of tiles. The cats will love it. They'll chase them under the couch. What is keeping you occupied during quarantine? I bought that an acoustic bass. I've, I've just I've been waiting to say it. I bought an acoustic bass, and let me tell you, um, having an acoustic bass has not only made my life a thousand times better. It's it's also made my room a thousand times boomier. It's super boom boom, and I I enjoy. Super boom boom. Super boom boom. Derek. Yeah. We've covered Leeds. We've Leeds. covered Fillmore East. Yes, sir. Let's move a couple of years into the seventies to this live record by Kiss. Okay, so Kiss had released like a few albums before this. They did. They released Kiss, Hotter Than Hell and dressed to kill um and then you know they had a cult following because their shows were you know dudes in crazy makeup and very elaborate stage shows and stuff like that um but their albums were always very eh. <laughs> you know like no yeah. one ever no one ever really bought uh the kiss albums for the music it was one of those things where it's like you buy it for the for the album art and and the experience and then and then you know you tell all your friends like i love kiss but then you go to the show <laughs> like right, yeah, right. yeah yeah and you wear the makeup and that's that's the deal so it was like it was like cosplay uh very like um predating star wars by a few years in terms of fandom yeah they had a yeah. lore they had action figures and, and tv specials lots of pyrotechnics and, you know, like lots of fake blood oh yeah was part of the stage antics oh yeah without kiss there would not be guar uh <laughs> no way yeah there wouldn't be honestly there probably wouldn't be a lot of like punk yeah. uh i'm sure in some weird way there wouldn't be a gg allen <laughs> There's no Twisted Sister <laughs> if you like Twisted Sister. There's definitely no Twisted Sister if there's no Kiss. Um, so you got to give credit where credit's due. I just wanted to to reference Gigi Allen because yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to make another poop joke. So we, um, so we find ourselves with Kiss Alive in 1975. Uh, this was released on September 10th. Um, it was met with pretty positive critical reception. Um, Rock and Roll All Night was the single, um, and it was number 12 on Billboard's Hot 100. Um, and the album peaked at number nine, uh, and it was on the charts for 110 weeks. So um, pretty good, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> That's more than two years. <laughs> it was a, it was a sort of a, a compilation of yeah. uh, shows on the Dress to Kill tour. Uh, so it was um, Cabo Arena in Detroit on May sixteenth, uh, and then June twenty first, uh, Cleveland Music Hall in Cleveland, and then July twentieth at RKA Orpheum Theater in Davenport, and then July twenty third in Wildwood's Convention Center in Wildwood. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it's a double album, 16 songs. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. Uh, 
Kiss's wild, energetic stage presence did not translate well to the live recordings. Stanley and Simmons had several miscues, such as playing the wrong chord, knocking over mics, not singing directly into the mic. Producer Eddie Kramer knew that significant dubbing was going to be needed to make the album sound good. In his 2001 autobiography, Gene Simmons said that there have always been rumors that Alive uh, was substantially reworked in the studio. It's not true. What we wanted and what we got was proof of the band's rawness and power. Um, it was not until 2003 uh, on an episode of Ultimate Albums that Kiss admitted to overdubbing. Uh, <laughs> Stanley said that... Uh, what we felt was necessary was to capture the integrity of the performance, not necessarily have, not necessarily having having it note for note of what actually happened. Um, apparently, they went to Electric Ladyland Studios and um, recorded their parts, and uh, apparently, uh, only Chris's drum track remained untouched. Hmm. Um. So, yeah. Well, that blurs the lines, doesn't it? Sort of. So, effectively, what KISS did was they, they, took, they took audio from four different shows. <clears throat> they took audiences from four different shows. And they blended it together. And then went into the studio and redid guitar solos, recut vocals, recut everything uh i think even down to the stage banter um with the exception of the raw drum tracks apparently um and yeah and just read it everything else and that sort of set a precedent i feel like kiss a lie simulate ah. <laughs> Um, and I mean, you know, I don't want to take anything away from them because they're all very accomplished musicians and they, you know, they had some, they had some kick-ass riffs and really cool songs and they, they are absolutely, like I said, there would be no guar, there would be no, um, any of that. Like they really pushed like stage theatrics to another level and definitely made a name for themselves. So they, they deserve a lot of the praise that they get a lot of it but not all of it. Um, and, you know, let's, let's try to pile some more of that praise onto queen. Um, speaking of queen, queen had one hell of an excellent performance at live aid in 1985. No overdubs. No. Yeah. All of the theatrics you would expect from the group but it just in terms of quality of performance at a time when, you know, Freddie Mercury's health was rapidly declining. Right. He, I mean, he, he pulled out one of the most amazing performances at a time when uh, Queen was on a little bit of a hiatus and just, it, it, it goes beyond flawless execution of, the theatrics of those songs. Yeah. And it became more about one gigantic community at Wembley stadium where I've never ever once seen, you know, until that time seen a crowd so locked in and in unison 
with what was happening on stage. Freddie and massive, ha- massive. massive. Freddie had Freddie had that whole audience in the palm of his hand during Radio Gaga. You right. know, which is not easy to do. I mean, how many people no. was that? Ninety. Ninety thousand people. Yeah, that's insane. It was a benefit concert, right? Mm-hmm. It was a benefit concert for, well, to... Uh, it was to raise to money to for the... Hungers. Right, Ethiopian famine? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So it was held simultaneously at Wembley Stadium in London um, and at John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philly. Um, right. Approximately 72,000 people at Wembley and approximately 89,000 at Kennedy. Um, On the same day, concerts inspired by the initiative happened in other countries, such as the Soviet Union, Canada, Japan, Yugoslavia, Austria, Australia, and West Germany. It was one of the largest scale satellite link-ups and television broadcasts of all time. Um, It had an estimated audience of 1.9 billion across 150 nations. And uh, 1.9 billion across the world in 1985, I would like to point out, I think the global population in in 85 was about 5 billion. So you're talking a little over, a little under two-fifths of the the world (laughs) watched this live. Almost half of the planet watched, is, watched this happen on TV. <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this was not a small festival. <laughs> this was not uh, a no. Monterey Pop in a movie theater. This was global. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and Queen stole the show so many other things happened so many other bands played (laughs) queen is the only thing that matters elvis costello did a version of the beatles all you need is love and everyone just talks about queen (laughs) elvis costello covered the beatles and we are all talking about yeah but did you see we are the champions (laughs) That's 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 what Queen did. I don't know if that means anything to you if you're an Elvis Costello fan listening at home, but that's important because Elvis Costello covered the Beatles and no one talks about it. Right. Here's here's a list of performers after Queen. Okay. David Bowie. Literally like right after Queen sets over. Okay. David Bowie takes the stage. The Who. Elton John. Then Freddie and Brian May come back to sing a song called Is This the World We Created? Then you have another uh, kind of a, a super group with Paul McCartney and David Bowie, Bob Geldof, Allison Moyette, and Pete Townsend singing Let It Be, followed by Band-Aid singing the track Do They Know It's Christmas. But David Bowie, The Who, and Elton John have to follow Queen. How do you do that? Nobody talks about those seminal performers. No, or performances. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just this was Queen's. This was Queen's thing. This was Queen. They had bigger live concerts. They performed at Milton Keynes 
in 82. And like that was huge, but this is still like the show that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Wembley is amazing and there's so many phenomenal live concerts that were, were taped at Wembley or put on at Wembley. I don't want to just say taped. Um, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of live concerts. Um, uh, Foo Fighters did one at Wembley and it was massive <laughs> yeah. and really good. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, but Milton Keynes, uh, <clears throat> Milton Keynes bowl is, um, home to a lot of, other really important records. I mean, like keeping a little more current, like we were just talking about Foo Fighters. Uh, let's talk about Green Day. Uh, yeah, Bullet in the Bible. Bullet in the Bible was recorded at Milton yeah. Keynes. That was, uh, that was what, two days? That was two shows. Um, let's look that up. Yeah, yeah, I think it's June 18th and 19th to, of 2005. So American Idiot was released at the tail end of 2004. So six months after that studio record dropped mm-hmm. was when they performed at Milton Keynes. Yeah. So it was two shows. Um, and, uh, it was a double LP from what I recall. It was, um, I had it on CD. Did you have it on vinyl? No, I have it on CD. Okay. I had it on CD and it was just 14 tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it also came with, well, it came with the DVD. So I guess in that, in that sense, it's a double because it, it was like a double disc. It was like record and movie and the move and the concert was, was sort of, it was that it was the concert and then cut like intercut with B roll and stuff. Um, but what's interesting is the audio from this show, like bullet in the Bible is huge, but there are moments where you can tell like, Oh, this is a recording from another night. And it's just the video footage from this one show, but it's the same costumes. It's the same like stage show. It's just two days. So it's really hard to tell. Like they, then, and they do, they do show like video footage of him performing of them performing in other clothes which makes it seem really um it makes it seem kind of tricky it makes it seem like you're getting glimpses of the second show but this is just one show and it really makes me wonder if it is but the recording is two shows it's it's just a mix but the live but the live dvd is like who they did a really good job on that one um there's but you can tell like there's a lot of there's a lot of after the fact going into that maybe not overdubs but yeah definitely a lot of lot of production love uh definitely some auto-tune happening maybe some melodyne or something like that i don't know how common this is derek but you know there is a nice you know consistency here in that rob cavallo produced american idiot just like he did dookie 10 years prior to that and he also produced bullet in the bible so he was really close to the material that was featured oh absolutely well i mean he i think partly he produced it because it's it's you know it's a mix of 
all of their songs up to that point. So, I mean, he's done everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, which makes perfect sense. Um, but then after this, they worked with Butch Vig on mm-hmm. 21st Century Breakdown and... Uh, Warning, I believe. Did he do Warning? I think that was Rob. Okay. Let me look that up. Warning, looking up warning. Underappreciated record. <laughs> I love that record. Warning came out when I was um it came out when I was a freshman in high school. A lot of seminal albums came out, a lot of seminal things happened to me when I was a freshman in high school. I told you that story before where I, I went to go see Sonic Youth and Pearl Jam, like early September. 2000 it was like when i started high school and it was the day before my first day freshman year <clears throat> flash cut one and sonic youth didn't play uh, and then pearl jam just played forever flash cut one month later warning comes out so i get a new green day album i'm already a green day fan <laughs> it's october 3rd 2000 yeah. i'm a freshman in high school and warning has come out <laughs> Um, and awesome. I loved it. I yeah. ate it up immediately. Um, let's see. I love church on Sunday, by the oh way. Oh my God. It's such there's a, a there's a little production. Like there, there's a little, like, I think a minor chord that gets hit towards the tail end of that song. Mm-hmm. And I love that they just kept it. It's. Oh, okay. Uh, Green Day produced it. And then Rob Cavello was an executive producer. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. Warning is amazing. <laughs> Uh, it's also, uh, I think, well, it's the second Green Day album to contain a bunch of horns. Um, cause there was a little horn action happening on Nimrod mm-hmm. with, uh, mm-hmm. with Last Ride In, um, and, King uh, for King a for a Day and, yeah. uh, little violin action on, um, Hitching a Ride, you know, so they had started incorporating a few more instrument textures into their songs. Um, but this was the first album where it was like, every song has an acoustic guitar on it. Every song has extra stuff. Jackass has a saxophone solo. (laughs) Like so many things are happening. And it's like, this is great. These songs are great. It's the same songwriting that you love about early green day and like just peak green day. It's the same caliber songwriting, good pop hooks, good strong sensibilities it's just the gains turned down a little bit and you know there's a piccolo somewhere <laughs> like that's the difference <laughs> but it's still a fucking amazing record and, and people who give it shit are wrong period yeah foot drop not a mic drop foot drop foot down foot down save the foot mics drop down. your feet um don't drop the mic it's bad for the mic pet the mic pet the mic you have to caress the mic Okay, so Bullet in the Bible definitely brings up that point of like modern recording, modern live shows, because it's a fucking amazing live show. And and we will talk about one section of this performance, which is hitching a ride, speaking a violin at the beginning of a song. And there's this thing that I've seen them do um, repeatedly live but in this instance it's the biggest because they're in front of like 80,000 people 90,000 people or something crazy like that and there's 130 130,000 is that 30,000 is that total or combined both shows 
Is it like eight, that is I'm it like fi- fifty to eighty thousand per show, and then it's like one hundred and thirty? Yeah, yeah, something along those. Lines. Or is it yeah. one hundred and thirty thousand people both shows? Like, <laughs> cause that's, because of their that's two hundred and sixty thousand yeah. people. <laughs> Oh, because of how popular they were and how explosive that record was, it wouldn't be surprising if they had 130 each night. Uh huh. All right. Well, someone email Billy hey. Joe and tell him to come on our show, and we'll That's talk to right. him about it. Um. Yeah. So we we went uh to uh to listen to this, and uh, I remember I put it on in the car because it was the best surround sound that I had when I bought it. Um. And I put it on in the car, turned it up, and when Hitch and a Ride came on. I fucking crashed the car. Not literally, but figuratively. It was in park, but I basically should have just crashed the fucking car at that point. Um, the audience, like he does this thing where he gets them to like shout one, two, three, four when it when the song peaks and then they go into the the solo and the scream. And it's a hundred and thirty thousand people screaming one, two, three, four. And then he just screams shite and it's just fucking the whole, the whole room erupts. My car started vibrating and you can feel the flames from the pyrotechnics hitting your face through the radio. Then I watched the concert (laughs) and it was like, but you could like literally like smell the fire from your speakers. Like it was so electric and it was like, it's one of the most perfect rock and roll moments ever recorded. And I don't even care if it happened or not. I don't care if it was overdubbed. I don't care what they did. That, that was amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like the yeah. first time I had, I, um, uh, you know, buddy buys me a fleshlight. I don't even care. That was amazing. I don't care if it was fake. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't have a fleshlight. <laughs> I have three. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, no, I don't. Ooh. Don't send me fleshlights. I'm deleting this. <laughs> no, but it was so it was so good. It was so good. Um, so I mean, but I mean, like trickery isn't isn't trickery. Like it's not a trick. It's not meant to like it is meant to trick you in the sense that it's theater, you know, in the sense that like a like a like a stage set is meant to trick you that there's a three-dimensional couch in front of you when in fact it's cardboard, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like it that's as far as it'll go i mean it's theater it's not it's entertainment are you entertained good <laughs> is basically the point right right but there's, it's a sense of escapism for some right but there's still that yeah. thing that i just can't get past it's that it's just it's just i know it's not really happening a lot of the time and these days especially you go see bands like i watch a concert from a band like an snl performance even and like everyone's auto-tuned like hmm. half of half of the instruments sound like they're happening off screen most people most bands these days are just a dude with a laptop and a singer so <laughs> like it's all ableton live it's all happening on a computer i don't even it's like <sighs> Where I'm, I'm watching an SNL performance of someone making a Garage Band recording in front of me. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is? I'd rather wh- see somebody working with their hands and. Well, it's not. It's not that I that music I music in a live setting that way. Well, okay, but that that makes you sound like a curmudgeon. Sure. <laughs> 
you're and like, I am. Yeah, I am. It's fine. I, I am. I'm old. Yeah. I don't care. Get off my lawn. Yeah. No, and I don't. I don't disagree with you because because I agree with you. But still, like you need you you do need to be aware that like that that is an easy out of not experiencing something that 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 may or may not be for you. Um, it's an easy way to just be like, ah, oh, it's not, ah, it's not, it's not real. It's not pure. I don't care. It's like, well, you're, but it could be good. There could still be some caliber of something, some nugget of importance in, in that piece. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there could be something that is worth your time. Um, and I'll give you the perfect example. Star Wars. And then we're going to wrap this up. Star Wars. Okay. Uh-huh. They made a couple of couple of couple of good movies. You know, there was the first one, the first album dropped, and it was it was groundbreaking. Okay. 1977. Star Wars. Groundbreaking. Okay. Then 1980. Empire. Sophomore release, not a slump, not a sophomore slump. Um, you know, amazing, amazing piece of work. Good record. Empire Strikes Back. Good record. Yeah. John Williams. Um, no, but, but legitimately as a movie, amazing. Third follow-up, Return of the Jedi. Um, 1983. 1983. Uh, Okay. It's a, it's, it wraps up a story, it concludes a thing, and then the band breaks up. Fandom continues, people still celebrate the band, just like the Beatles. Beatles broke up, but, you know, there were still people going to Beatle conventions in 1975. They hadn't been a band, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for five, six years at that point. Like, <laughs> so... They went from band to phenomenon. Exactly, and so did Star Wars. Uh, so it's no different. Then... Technology gets a little better. You know, we have we have a few, you know, we have we have an Altamont and we have we have a few uh <laughs> we have a few other festivals and and a few a few other people get electrocuted and a few other people get trampled and mistakes are made and and people people find the brown M&Ms and then we fix it with modern technology and advancements. But it's so good and we don't understand it so much that we just start overusing it in 1999 you just start they just start dropping that auto-tune on everything star wars is back baby but it's auto-tuned as fuck and that's when we got the prequels that's when you get your jar jar binks and everything is green screened and it's like samuel l jackson talking to a talking to a to a tennis ball surrounded by nothing (laughs) Actually, I don't even think they were green screened. I think most of those movies were blue screened, which is even mm-hmm. even dumber to chroma key. And we won't get into that. But like they are hot garbage and people are loving it. It's the Limp Biscuit era. And Star Wars is churning out a bunch of Limp Biscuit shit. <laughs> and that's the prequels. And and, you know, those are over by 2005 they're done and we're like okay (laughs) like that's that's it i'm out like here we are we're we're in a new world where these movies exist and now star wars is like kind of tipped 
evenly between three good movies and three crap movies. Fast forward to 2015 and fucking J.J. Abrams releases <laughs> The Force Awakens and it's a different album. It's the same album, but it's the different. It's different. It's a new band playing the same hits but it's been filtered and processed through so much modern technology that the lines are so blurred between the animatronics and the CGI. It's a lot of practical effects. It's a lot of digital effects. And, and I can't tell which is which anymore. And these three movies are fine. They tell stories. Force Awakens, um, The Last Jedi, which is my favorite of the three and then the rise of Skywalker, which is the last nail in the coffin for me. I'm not saying star Wars is dead. I'm just saying no, uh, no, it wasn't good. I hated it. It wasn't good, but partly because Ryan Johnson wasn't involved, but also <laughs> partly because JJ Abrams doesn't know how to finish anything, but also partly because, uh, it, 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 it didn't make any fucking sense. It was anyway, it's a bad movie. So, okay. But my point is the technology and that's, that's the metaphor here is star Wars is the same as the recording industry. Whereas now the lines are so blurred that I can't tell if it's happening in front of my face or if it's not happening in front of my face. Princess Leia is dead and yet she's alive in the movies and yet she's dead in the movies. And yet I don't understand because she didn't, she wasn't even in it because Carrie Fisher is dead. And like, that's the point is like, now we're getting to that, to that, that age where like, we might see a new Elvis live album and we won't be able to tell that it's not Elvis. Unless it's a hologram show. In which case we definitely won't be able to tell that it's not Elvis. And it's that's, that's where we're at holograms and auto tune and Ableton live. And is it actually happening in front of your face? Well, before this COVID-19 thing started to happen, there were plans of having an Amy Winehouse live mm. concert experience via hologram. Let it go. She suffered yeah. enough. <laughs> God damn it. Um, but it goes to show, it goes to show, you know, that there is an audience for anything, no matter how artificial something might be happening in real time, in reality. But it really seems like there's a big push for that to be the mainstream. Like, that's just what the audience has to go for now is like everything has to be fabricated and manufactured and perfected and, 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 and fixed and corrected for you before it even gets to you to the point where it's like, I don't even know if post Malone can sing. He's a great performer. He's a good songwriter. I've never heard his voice ever. Cause he's always auto-tuned even, even when he doesn't sound like he's tuned, he's tuned. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that, that that's where technology went. And it's not even my responsibility to let people know that it's fake. Cause then I just sound like a weird raving psycho. Don't listen to the fake music. And then that, that gets in the get off my lawn territory. So that's, that's the balance right now. That's what I'm struggling with personally when it comes to just live music right now. Let's talk about something, you know, slightly different right now. I wanted to make sure that we brought up the idea of live recordings from a uh, kind of a tape trading point of view. 
yeah. and how some groups have, you know, made a career out of imperfect live concert performances, nothing auto-tuned, things happening completely without a net on the fly. And, you know, we don't have to get in, you know, to the thick of certain groups, but, you know, th- you know, bands like Widespread Panic, Fish, and the Grateful Dead yeah. built a community around. Pocket you know, they were the first. They were the first like social media strata. When you think about sharing what they were, you know, providing from a live, you know, live performance point of view, you would go on you know, tour. They, 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 sorry, not to yeah. cut you off, but like you would go on tour to see the Dead, and you would like you'd go to the parking lot, and there'd be like people with little kiosks set up with cassette tapes of last night's show in Cincinnati and the, the night before in St. Louis exactly. and the night before. Yeah. And, and it's just like, all right. <laughs> there, there was a, t- there was an attention to sound quality from the, from the audience perspective, but at the same time, those imperfect things that were happening on stage were okay. Not only okay, it was it was they like okay. that was why you would go. You would go to see the spectacle. You would go to see what if a mistake happened, and it, not even from like a Schadenfreude perspective, but like literally yeah. just like a like anything can happen. Like surprise, you want to be thrilled. You want to be entertained. You want you want yeah. there to be sort of a, a sense of of danger, even if it's totally safe. And and unfortunately, like in today's climate that sense of danger is is less the guitar player might break a string and more i might get killed <laughs> exactly exactly is, hey listen to what happened here at you know at 410 you know yeah this this the guitar goes a little bit out of tune but listen to the way the band kind of recovers you know things like that are just part of your overall auditory experience that like you said everybody you know there's this demand for synchronized perfection yeah that's that's a good way to put it it's it's like it's like everything has to be snapped to the grid everything and if it isn't it's wrong and i disagree and agree i agree for meticulous reasons and i disagree for spiritual reasons (laughs) you know yeah and i'm not a spiritual person (laughs) but that's that's the thing is there's, there's that, there's that thing in your soul. If you want to call it that there's that thing in your heart. If you want to call it that there's that thing in your chest, that thing in your stomach, that thing in your place, wherever you feel that thing that makes you go, Ooh, in your ears, when you hear something amazing, that that's what I'm talking about. No doubt. Yeah. No, it's you still there. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm thinking about that thing. That's what's missing a lot of times is like, you can't replace it. It's that thing that you, if I record a drum part and I'm a drummer and I'm in the pocket and I'm close, I'm not on time exactly, but I'm not off time exactly. And it feels right. Do I need to then run my drums through beat detective and quantize them and snap them to the metronome and make sure that every little 16th note is perfectly on time and make sure that every little blip is like perfect and like correct and then replace the sounds of my actual toms with pre-recorded sounds of people's toms and snare drums and kick drums to the point where it's like not even the kit that I walked in with it's someone else's kit. I'm using Travis Barker's kit, but I'm playing on my kit. (laughs) 
but it sounds like I'm playing on Travis Barker's kit because someone bought an audio pack of Travis Barker's kit. And it's like, <laughs> but you're using that kit to make what sounds like you. Well, but no, because by the time no. I run it through all of the shit, it just sounds like Travis Barker's playing. <laughs> Honestly, but that's a conscious, but that's a conscious choice you're making. That's the, that's the thing. It's no different yeah. than a magic trick. It's a conscious choice I'm making. It's just, do you choose to buy into it? Or do you choose to go, I can see the strings or I saw you put it in your pocket. You see what I mean? It just depends on mm -hmm. your approach. So I feel like that's the thesis is how you approach, how you walk into the room. If you walk into the music venue expecting to be wowed, you might not be. You run a risk of being let down. If you walk into the music venue expecting to be let down, you might be. <laughs> you run a risk of absolutely getting what you think you'll get. But if you walk into that not expecting anything, just walk into the ex situation expecting to see a band <laughs> or to see a performance, and that's, the that's it. That's all. You have no expectations outside of, I will be granted entry because I bought a ticket. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes don't even expect that. Like, be okay if they're like, we're at capacity. Like, be cool. You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes right. mistakes get made. It'll be fine. Don't be a dick to the door people. My point is, I, I used to be a door person. My point is, treat those people with, like gold and tip them. Anyway, we, <laughs> uh, you, that's kind of my point, is you walk into... A sit any situation that I've ever walked into where I didn't expect anything, I've always been pleasantly surprised. And if I'm not pleasantly surprised, at least I'm not let down ever. I'm never below my, my, my unity, which is, it'll be a thing. <laughs> I'll be home when it's over. Like that's right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and any other, any other time you walk into an experience for any other reason, if you have an ulterior motive to like an, in going to a live show, you're doing it wrong. You're not participating. You're trying to infiltrate. I'm just saying it's not a good place to walk into and go like, I'm going to be blown away. <laughs> I heard this band is amazing. Oh God, I'm going to hate this. <laughs> That's me when I hear that. And I'm just like, I can't do that to myself. Um, so I guess the point is in, in the, in the wake of drinking bleach and Lysol, I, I guess my point is fuck sarcasm and maybe right now is the most important time to be honest and be earnest and be truthful and seek out real experiences and real things because right now the only way to feel really connected to anyone is the people you're stuck at home with or the people you can reach out to with a mobile device or screen and it's weird. We've now entered the place where we are hanging out with people on TV and the radio. And infiltrating into their living rooms. Yeah. We are now you the know, band. People sank people's sanctuaries. This is the Ed Sullivan show now, man. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. on it. We it it mm -hmm. all it all met in the middle. <laughs> it somehow it all just the, the ground and the sky became the horizon, and here we are. 
that's heavy, man. I mean, but truthful. That's where we're at, man. That's the what's the so. I guess the point is, I still love live music, even though I know most of it's fake. Just like I still love all of the albums that I love, even though I know they're auto tuned and overdubbed, and there's like fourteen guitars blurred together to make it sound like one heavy guitar. Like I get it, and I still like it. You know what I'm not missing right now during this quarantine? Limp Biscuit. What? <laughs> Cell phone interference. Oh my god! <laughs> going going to shows and, and having, having somebody a screen in your face. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm enjoy I'm enjoying streaming music with no interference in that way. That's true. That's okay. I guess that's the point. The point is, um, if you're stuck at home and you're feeling and you're feeling like you really need a human connection, you can always put on a live concert and just watch a lot of people be sweaty together and 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 just feel feel the vibe and just love the love the tunes. Or you can at least take comfort in the fact that there isn't a fucking phone in your face. <laughs> Except for the phone that's in front of your face all day because you're stuck inside and there's nothing else to do. Um, and that is a good place to stop the show. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, that was it. We're not gonna, we're not gonna talk anymore. We're done. Matt, we're done. We've concluded it. I feel better. This was, this was, this was therapy for me and you guys were all duped into listening to my therapy sessions, trying to figure out what the fuck is up with live music. (laughs) And here it is, Derek. It is, Derek. It's been a pleasure, you know, breaking this into four different pieces as to what constitutes a live music experience and how it's evolved. It's been great, man. Over over time, I really yeah. enjoyed talking to you about this. I've really enjoyed getting feedback from people. Um, please continue to reach out to us on um, Instagram and Twitter at Cover Two Cover Live. That is Cover the Number Two Cover Live. Um, and you can also shoot us an email. Uh, all that will be in the description. Um, and don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave a review on the show, please, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on TuneIn, anywhere this podcast is available and there's a place that says leave a review, do it. Even if it's just like an arbitrary number of stars, I don't care. Review it. Say it. say something too. Be like these guys are cool, or be like these guys weren't cool. It's your review. I'm not gonna tell you what to say or do. I'm not like that because that's what a fascist does. Um, and we want we we'd like feedback either way. Yeah, tell us what yeah. you think about fascism. Tell us uh, whether or not you're excited to um drink bleach. Uh, we uh really appreciate you guys. Uh, we really appreciate um each other and uh i really appreciate you matt i appreciate you derek Thanks, buddy. yeah please please take care out there everybody yeah uh and so. check out uh more episodes of cover to cover conversations coming at you very very soon right you're picking up again yeah you want to uh, do you want to tease your next episode of cover to cover conversations sure the next episode is going to be about a band a very legendary band that recorded an album in 1999 and the record is called echo so not not limp biscuit not limp biscuit you didn't do anything for the nookie you're like that's not true i (laughs) i forgot my backwards ball cap my red hat yeah also everyone does everything for the nookie um anyway that's our show guys thank you so much for um 
Why are we waving? Anyway, that's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you uh, the next time we see you. Um, take care. Be safe. Peace, Dan. Bye, man. Scrabble. Scrabble's I great. Sound, I know it sounds like a game that's meant for old folks, but I've always Scrabble, enjoyed it. Scrabble doesn't always. sound like a game that's made for old folks. Scrabble sounds like like something that you you something that you find under your truck tire and cook and serve in a diner. Y'all want hmm. some Scrabble? That's scrap. That's Scrapple. No, no, no. I know what Scrapple is, and that's also <laughs> disgusting, but probably not as disgusting as Scrabble, which is roadkill.